Well, as I promised uh, at the beginning today, we'll talk a little bit about Israel and things like that. Uh, first question uh, I was asked, um, is, is, the, um, is, the, is the word rapture, oh, we'll just get it out of the way first. Is the word rapture in the Bible? And yes, it is. Uh, the word rapture just means taken up. So it's, it's one of these funny English, Greek, English sort of things that uh, the word uh, rapture, they use that because uh, it's uh, translated, just, it just means taken up. So yeah, the, the, depending on what you're trying to say, and rapture sounds, you know, a lot, it, that sells more books than taken up, right? And that's really the honest truth. However, what do you mean by it? That's the question. So, I've just been taken up. Um, so, yes, you, yeah, yeah, I am sorry. Yeah, I'll just throw piles. So, uh, this is just a, a quick little initial response. There's a lot more to say. Um, but, uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of things whenever something like this goes on, whenever there's an interesting uh, sign, uh, what people might call sign, or um, something in the, in the, like the eclipse, right? The moon and whatnot. Um, so uh, the question then comes, well, what, you know, all these people get all excited um, because just up front, cut to the chase, the reason is because they, they aren't satisfied with the word of God, Okay people who are looking for signs, people who are looking for you know, something in the moon or the stars, that has all of the signs and things except for what Jesus says will happen when he returns, which, what are some of the things that Jesus says are going to happen when he returns? There are some times when Jesus talks and it's kind of a little interesting but we are told by the Bible that there will be no mistaking it. He says that Jesus is going to come, Jesus himself says, and it's going to be visible to all people. So one thing you don't have to worry about is missing the, the return of Jesus. Okay? There, there is no mistaking that. The rapture teaching comes as a misreading of the scriptures, the left behind, all that. <clears throat> we, we don't have time to go in it now. Maybe we'll, we'll have a chance to go through that sometime. But just suffice it to say that when Jesus returns, there will be no mistaking. Okay? This is repeated throughout. Yeah, he says he will come like a thief in the night. But that doesn't mean that the comparison, you know, that's always the question with parables and stories, analogies. What's the point of comparison that Jesus is making? When he says, when he returns, it's going to be like a thief in the night, is the point of comparison that Jesus is going to be wearing a ski mask? Is that what he means? Well, no, we know that's ridiculous. Some people take when Jesus says, I'm coming as a thief in the night, meaning it's going to be secret, you know, like a thief sneaks in. No, the point of comparison is that a thief comes when you don't expect him. You don't know. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say, look, you know, you can't, you know, you can't, uh, what is it? Um, you can't say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to sin today, right? Because I know Jesus isn't going to come back. I'm going to do this because I know Jesus isn't going to come back. Jesus's point is, no, you, I come like a thief in the night. You, nobody knows. You, you cannot, you cannot anticipate it. 
So this is what is silly about a lot of these things, just on, a, just on this face. Just um, saying that the end of the world is somehow tied to events in the sky or the Middle East is just wish, it's silly thinking. And part of the reason is because the same reason about rapture. When people read the word Israel in the New Testament or even in the Old, they confuse God's people by faith with the nation, the nation Israel. Right? Those are two different things. And what happens is people read in the Bible, they see the word Israel, and they think it's talking about a geographical kingdom or a, a piece of land, and it's not. In the Old Testament, it is. And in, when Jesus was around, right, Israel, they were God's people. They, you know, all these things. But since Israel, the state of Israel, were there Christians before the, were there Christians before the state of Israel? Were there Jews before the state of Israel? Who was the first Jew? Abraham. Right? Israel, right? Jacob, Israel, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Uh, so with Abraham, right? Well, what about the people before Abraham? <laughs> before the nation was even formed, before the promise was, was, was given, right? What, what about that? What about then? All of these, these things that get excited about being a Jew, and, and as I mentioned here, Jesus was a Jew, they conflate earthly kingdoms with the kingdom of God. And Paul knows that this is going to be a problem in the New Testament. He's already picking up on it in Romans chapter 9, which we're going to look at. Paul sort of lays the foundation for how we should address this. But first off, uh, that little printout I gave you was just my initial thoughts. I just kind of threw it on a paper as I, as I received this. Somebody sent me this text and asked me, what, what, what about this? So here, here is the, the, the text that's floating around on social media. Why does Israel matter? Well, right off the get-go, as a Christian, I say, well, what Israel are you talking about? Are you talking about Israel as the, the nation, the state that we have that was formed? Or are you talking about Israel, meaning God's people who are citizens of God's Israel by faith? Because everything in the Old Testament was meant to be a... Um, uh, what is it called? Object lesson. Everything in the Old Testament was an object lesson for what? What was the temple? What, what was the temple teaching us about? Okay, yeah, the sacrifices. And what were the sacrifices teaching us about? Jesus! Remember the temple. What did Jesus say about the temple? Right? He said, I will tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. And the Jews all around Jesus got really angry. He said, he's going to tear down the building. And Jesus, he does a face palm. He goes, you know, but he doesn't, he doesn't correct them immediately. It takes the gospel writer who says, oh, he was talking about his body. The temple was only useful in an object lesson until Jesus came. Once Jesus has come, all the lessons, the candlesticks in the sanctuary, the, the curtain, right? All of these things that God established in the Old Testament for Israel was meant to point you to Jesus. 
God is preparing his people saying, look, all of this, I'm giving you all these wonderful clues, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, what, what would it be like? It's kind, kind of like, you know, going along a, on a hike, right? And you've got this wonderful destination. Like one of my, one of the, I'm trying to remember when it was, um, one of the coolest hikes, I think it was when we were in Utah one year, um, you, you, you say, okay, what hike are we going to go on? And you say, oh, I want to pick this one because there's a waterfall at the end of it. And so you go along the hike, and all along the hike, you get closer and closer, and you start to what? You start to hear it. And you're like, oh, this is going to be great, right? And you, if it's a little waterfall, all you hear is a, you know, like your toilet's running. <laughs> it's like, eh, this is probably not going to be that exciting. But if you, you know, you hear the roar, right? And you're like, oh, this is... This is preparing me for something great. And you're excited. So, so you, you start walking a little faster. And, and then you, you get even closer. You start going up the stairs, right? And, and you're just so excited. You can't go, you can't wait. And you're climbing up the stairs fast. You're like, oh, we're going really high. This is going to be a beautiful waterfall. This is going to be great. And then you go and you get closer. And what do you start to feel? The mist and the spray. And you're like, oh, I can hear it. I can feel it. I can even taste it. Oh, I can't wait. And you get there and the trees open. And it's just beautiful right? This is the path that God is leading his people down to see the glory of Jesus when he arrives. The temple, the war, the festivities, every single thing was meant to prepare God's people for Jesus. So once Jesus comes and fulfills all that, none of those things matter. None of those things have anything to do with the Christian faith. They themselves, the temple itself, the sacrifices, none of it really mattered except for its teaching of Christ and salvation by faith. Right? Doesn't, doesn't God command sacrifices in the Old Testament? But then what does he also say to his people? I don't need your sacrifices. Your sacrifices mean nothing. They are, they, they are pointless if you do not live by faith. So God even said, hey, you don't have sacrifices. That, that doesn't make you my people. It's faith. And the sacrifices are teaching you that I will send the fulfillment, the, the object of your faith. And this is so you do not miss him. So the temple and anything that happens to Israel, just flat out on the face, it doesn't matter. Israel, they could, there could be a guy who shows up in Israel and he says, I'm Jesus, right? And we would say, hmm, okay. You sure you didn't mispronounce it? Sure you're not Jesus? Um, that it's not, right? There, there is nothing in particular about Israel that matters for us. Otherwise, we would be in deep gimshi because we haven't been offering sacrifices, We've been eating bacon and shrimp. I've been eating bacon-wrapped shrimp. I'm in super deep trouble. <laughs> but you see, right, the, some of these ceremonies, the ceremonial laws, a lot of these things, the nation, it was all meant to prepare us for life with Christ. A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, right? So once Jesus comes and fulfills all these things. Now, 
Does that mean we don't care about Israel? No. No, of course not. We, we care about all the people of the globe, right? And we also, too, as Paul is going to speak about them in the Bible, he says, man, they, I love my people, right? But anytime anybody says, oh, there's, there's a blood moon, oh, there's a war in Israel, oh, there's this, you can just turn off the TV or scroll to the next post. Uh, not, it's all been fulfilled in Christ. That's the whole point of all this. And, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of these prophecy churches and whatnot who, who believe that there are still some things that need to be fulfilled, um, you know, most, if not all of them, don't have the sacraments. They have no need for them because their sacraments are prophecy. That's how they are fed and nourished in the faith, they believe. So um, it, it is rare, if at all, in the history of the church that a sacramental church would be a place of where prophecy and future telling and things of that nature, signs in the skies, really sort of takes root. It's because as a, as a biblical, you know, sacramental church, we have, we have the temple we have the, the candles. We have the pillar of fire. We have the rock that followed Israel. We have Jesus. So what about the temple? Okay, so remember, the temple was, was built so God's people would know that God's presence was with them. Do you all remember what happened once the temple was built? How did they know God was there besides God telling them? What outward physical sign with a promise attached to it did God give them that God was actually dwelling in the temple. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, you have the cloud, right? And you also have, you had the Ark of the Covenant that was there. God says, that's my place. And the cloud went and settled there. Did you know that the cloud left the temple? Yeah, it left the temple. Why? Because God's people rejected him by faith. God said, my presence is no longer with you. Elevate, oh, I'm not going to say it. I have left the building, right? <laughs> I didn't say it. Y'all's, y'all's minds went there. I did not. The, the cloud left the temple because the temple was going to be destroyed, right? Why was the temple to be destroyed? Because God sent foreign invaders in. He told Israel, he said, you go and you marry foreign women. You worship false gods. I will take my presence from you. And Israel said, meh, right? They also, along with all this stuff, Israel said, you know, when the kingdom is divided too, they, they, took, a, they took a test run at this. They said, let's build, let's build golden calves, right? So we don't have to go to Jerusalem. So we don't have to go to the temple. Right? And God punished them for that. He brought in foreign invaders. So when God had fine come, he had told them year after year after year after year, hey, don't go after false gods. Don't go after false gods. Finally, he sent foreign invaders to come in and completely destroy the temple. The cloud, we are told, left the temple. But remember, there were also many sermons and a lot of preaching that the prophets did when God said, I will return to you. I will come back to you. Even though you have chased false gods, even though the temple is destroyed, right? 
God said, I'm going to come back to you. So when did God's presence return to the temple? That's the question. If, if people are waiting for God, as some of these Israel and, and Jewish um, hoaxes kind of go around, they think Jesus is going to return to the temple. And that's the fulfillment of it. That's incorrect. When did the Spirit of God return to the temple? When Jesus was presented at the temple. That's why Anna and Simeon, who were at the temple day and night waiting for the consummation of Israel, when they... Now, just now try this on for size. Just imagine being there, right? You, you've got this woman who's been at the temple day and night praising God, and you've got Simeon who's also been there, and everybody knows they're, they're always there, <laughs> and they're waiting. And Mary and Joseph, Joseph brings Jesus to the temple. There's no big halo around Jesus. There's no angels taking him. He's just, I mean, where's my object lesson? Little um, Eleanor, right? So, so, so little baby Jesus, little baby is, is brought in, look, doesn't look any, there aren't lightning bolts or anything like that. And Anna and Simeon break out in song. It is, the, it is the Spirit of the Lord returning. It is the Lord returning to his temple. That's when the Lord returning to his temple is fulfilled. That's why we're not looking for that. We are told, Lord, now let your servant go in peace. I have seen the salvation of your people, your chosen people, Israel. A light to lead the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So when Jesus comes, and right, and that's before Jesus has accomplished anything. He's still a little baby. And Anna and Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, see this. But everybody else who was around there, they could have cared less. Everybody else just went about their business. Even Mary and Joseph were kind of like, huh? Well, I guess what the angel said was true. It was, it was nine months, really, until really, well, you know, Mary had... John the Baptist, you know, she had Elizabeth's testimony. But really here again, it was another testimony outside of her where, where she's being told, hey, this, this kid is the son of God. So um, that's why they rejoiced and why Jesus then says, yeah, the temple is all about me. I don't mean to be arrogant, but I am the son of God and everything is about me. <laughs> and that's why they hated Jesus, right? The Jews because they had prided themselves in what they had built, their kingdom. They loved the worship of man more than the word of God, because they could take credit for it, right? So this is also behind why there are so many people who want to rebuild or protect the temple in Israel. They don't have the sacraments. They don't have the presence of God. They're still looking for it. And we say, no, <laughs> Jesus is here with us. Why would we need to go to Israel? It's all been fulfilled. Okay, so um, with that, uh, let, do you know, right? So whenever it starts off with do you know, that's uh, always fun. Okay, did you know that the time clock of the return of Jesus isn't based on America's timeline? That's true. It's not based on your calendar. It's based on what's happening in Israel. Well, what do you mean by Israel? 
Is it based on the, the time what is happening in Israel, meaning God's people by faith, that has, was started with Adam and Eve and is yet going to this day? Well, maybe you could say that. But no, God's timing is based on what? His timing. Yeah, not that hard. Did you know Jesus wasn't a Christian? That, that's completely backwards. I, I mean, it's not backwards. It's nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. Did you know a triangle is not a triangle? You know, it's these, these questions that they, they try to sound smart, but they're, they're not. Okay, he was a Jew. He celebrated and kept the Jewish holy days and customs as well as the feasts of the Lord. They don't realize Lord there is the name of Jesus. He didn't come to eradicate the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament, um, and writing of the prophets, the Old Testament, writings of Moses and the prophets. He came to fulfill the prophecies that were written in them. Yes. When Jesus returns, he isn't returning to the United States. Right. But we're not going to miss it. It's going to be as, from the east to the west. The Bible says he's going to plant his foot down on the Mount of Olives and go through the eastern gate, which is currently sealed off with 16 feet of concrete. So I guess we better start chipping if we want Jesus to come back. A cemetery was also placed in front of that gate because touching the dead of because touching the dead makes a Jew considered unclean and unable to enter the temple which is considered holy. The word of God says he will return there and from there he will rule and reign for a thousand years. The final battle isn't going to be on US soil, it's going to be in the valley of Megiddo in Israel. The Bible says, as the nations wage war against Israel, Jesus will come and destroy his enemies with the breath of his mouth. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 God did not replace the Jews with Christians as some believe. We are actually grafted in with them as you would graft a wild branch into an existing tree. The word of God says, when you touch Israel, you touch the apple of God's eye. Zechariah 2. He that keeps, down in the kind of the middle, he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, the Lord is thy keeper. I will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you, Genesis 12. We are also commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalm 122. Israel matters, pray for Israel. So, the question that is always involved with these things is what is Israel? What is Israel? Are you talking about the church? Or are you talking about the nation? So just this pair, paper here real quick. You see at the top I wrote Romans 9 and 11. Because St. Paul has to address this. Because remember, it, it, the church, it, the first place that Jesus said to go and preach in the New Testament was go to the synagogues. Go to my people. right? Tell them, they're, I'm the waterfall. I'm, I'm what they've been looking for. Um, but then Paul, St. Paul says... Well, they rejected Jesus. So now, go everywhere. Now go all, to all people. It, it, it matches up really well with our gospel lesson today with the parable. When Jesus says the man invited and told all those who were invited to come, it's all ready, it's done. And they did what? Said no. They said, no, thanks. I don't think so. You know, they didn't want to come. <clears throat> right? That's what Jesus is warning the Jews. And just... Consider the mercy and the patience of God. How many years between Adam and Eve and Jesus, right? I mean, thousands, right? And God is constantly showing his mercy and calling them back and calling them back. 
and then they reject him. And so this is a big, a big, a big point of teaching for St. Paul because he's a Jew. And he says, my own people, oh, please. You know, he, he just, he, it killed him on the inside. He said, I would give up my own salvation if that meant the salvation of all of Israel. But he says, but not, in Romans 9, he says, but not all who are of Israel are part of Israel. Okay, so to say Jesus wasn't a Christian, he was a Jew, is completely misleading and kind of like saying, I'm not a Christian, I'm an American. It is mistaking and confusing a person's nationality, and pardon my grammar, okay, <laughs> for you uh, English majors, um, I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, it is mistaking and confusing a person's nationality with an identity given by faith. Christian is given by being born by the water and the Holy Spirit, John 3. Jew is a nationality. You are born into it. So to say Jesus wasn't a Christian is nonsensical. To say he was a Jew is true because that was his nationality. He, bless you. Jesus had to be a nationality, right? He had to be a member of, of a nation, He's born into the world, just like you and I. We are born in, under the authority of a nation. To say he was a Jew is true because that was his nationality. But just because someone followed the ceremonial laws and rites of the Old Testament doesn't make them a Jew. Abraham, the father of Judaism, he didn't follow all the laws that God would give Israel in Exodus. Abraham was before all the ceremonial laws, before the temple, before all this. So what did he do? So either God excuses Abraham's sins, not offering sacrifices, celebrating high holy days, etc., or Abraham was part of God's people by faith. Following Old Testament laws that were meant for Israel, the nation, does not make one a Christian either. This whole matter is settled in the book of Galatians. But more to our topic. The second paragraph, when Jesus returns, the author of this post is saying the temple is holy. It is not. What would make the temple holy, though? Okay, yep, if God was there, and, and is God there? I mean, God is, God is everywhere, but what would make it holy? What, is, what does the Bible say? Make things holy by what? By prayer and supplication. Yeah, if we had a church service at the temple, it would be holy ground, right? Because, right, we are the church, we are praying there. God's, that's why, you know, churches, when, when you come into a church, you generally you act differently than you do when you're on, on the playground or, or in your house. It's a sacred place because God is meeting us there. So if we had a worship service with divine service in your house, your house would be holy ground, Right? Um, this is, so the they say the temple is holy because they, because it's part of Israel and, and being part of Israel doesn't make anything holy. It's only God's word, right? When, when God met Moses at the bush, right? What do you say? Take off your sandals. The ground on which you stand is holy because why? God was there. 
He, some even see that in the bush, they, that, that, that it's kind of sacramental, right? God's presence is in that bush. He's the fire in that bush, yet the bush is what? Moses looked at the bush and he said, that's a fire, but the bush isn't burning, right? So you have, you have bush, you have bush and the presence of God, just like we have bread in the presence of God. It's still bread. When God comes and, and has the sacramental union with his body, he doesn't destroy the bread. It's still there. Just like when God becomes man in Jesus, he doesn't destroy manhood. Jesus is still fully man and fully God. So that's what is holy, is the presence of God. The authors, okay, it is not. The temple was just an object lesson pointing to Jesus. Once Jesus has come, the temple has fulfilled its purpose and is no longer anything special. Jesus himself even says he is the true and complete temple. In fact, it is offensive to God what the Jews do in the temple because the Jews who go there do not believe Jesus is God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11:6. He will return to the post, I quote. He will return there, and from there he will reign and rule for a thousand years. Jesus returned to the temple when he was brought for his circumcision, and Anna and Simeon saw him when he was presented. The thousand-year reign, okay, where does the thousand-year reign come from? Where did they get that? From, from Revelation, right? In the book of Revelation where it says Jesus will reign for a thousand years. They take that thousand years to be literal. And they also take it to mean an earthly kingdom. That Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to establish an earthly kingdom where we get to do all the cool stuff. We get to be the ones in power. But what, that's what Pilate assumed when Jesus was in front of him, didn't he? Because Pilate asked Jesus a very important question. What was that? Are you, a, are you a king? You know, Pilate's job, he was, the go, he was the governor. Pilate's job was to squash any enemy of Caesar, right? any, any enemy who was there. So he says, well, are you a king? And Jesus said, what? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus has not come to establish an earthly kingdom. So the, this is a, what we call a Jewish heresy. Because the Jews all along, they thought that when the Messiah would come, that that meant an earthly reign. That they would be the ones in charge and calling the shots. I can't blame them. Doesn't that sound cool? Instead of being stepped on, and look down upon because our king died on a cross, right? Instead of being a religion that looks weak, wouldn't it be cool to have a little bit of time where we get to be the ones who, who squash? Wouldn't it be cool to be the ones who have all the money in the world and all the power? No, it wouldn't be cool. That's a curse. <laughs> but you understand, right? I get it. Why, you know, they, they hear all the prophecies of this king who's going to rule from sea to shining sea. The whole world is going to be at his fingertips. He is going to rule and be powerful. I can understand the, these people who've been defeated and put down and fought against and destroyed by foreign invaders time and time again. But God is doing that so they would live by faith, not in their nation. So some of these, these Christian organizations of prophecy and International House of Prayer, all this kind of stuff, 
they, when they teach a literal thousand years, that's a Jewish heresy. Because the Jews, they saw Jesus was not going to be a good king. He wasn't going to win, right? He was, he was, what offended the Jews about Jesus? What, what about Jesus offended the Jews? Yeah, where was he from? He's from like Oklahoma. I mean, <laughs> I had to get that while you were going out. <laughs> he was a know-nothing hillbilly. He was from nowhere, right? And, and what did he do? He hung out with who? Sinners, the undesirables, right? But he also was at home. He could also go toe-to-toe with the, the greatest theologians and, and, and the rulers of the Jews, right? At, at first... At first, they really liked Jesus. They thought he was one of them. He was educated. He was smart. He could impress. He could grab a crowd. In fact, some people postulate, some people think this was kind of part of Judas's reason for betraying Jesus. Is, 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 there's, there's a line of thinking. It's just kind of, it's kind of random thoughts or whatever. There, there, there's a line of thinking that thinks that Judas by betraying Jesus, thought he was going to, going to energize Jesus to finally come out and say, hey, boom, here's my power. That Judas was kind of like, okay, come on, let's, maybe if I betray him, this will, this will move things along to where Jesus will come out as a super strong leader and is going to be the leader of Israel. Jesus is the leader of Israel, but not by power, right? Not by an earthly kingdom. Um, so the thousand year reign, let's see, do I talk about this? Um, okay. He will return from there and will rule and reign for a thousand years. Jesus, the thousand year reign, see that first page, front page, three quarters of the way down. The thousand year reign began after Pentecost and is in a sense symbolic meaning Jesus' thousand-year reign is, is not a reign like we would a kingdom, an earthly kingdom. Jesus is reigning since he ascended to the right hand of God. St. Paul writes this in Ephesians 1, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and all. So the question is, is Jesus reigning now? Absolutely. Is Jesus reigning now? According to the Bible, he is. This is why Ascension Day is such a big deal in the church. Because we recognize what you can only see by faith. Right? You see Jesus reigning, and the question is, okay, or is Jesus waiting to establish some sort of political reign? The way you answer this determines how you worship and speak. 
Well, how so? If you think Jesus is reigning right now and he is seated at his kingdom and he is fighting all of your enemies and defeating everything for you so you have nothing to worry about, that's going to that's gonna change the way you worship and how you speak and, and social, how you read social media, right? Especially when they use words like Israel and, and biblical themes. How so? Well, if Jesus is not reigning now, then there is still work to be done. If Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom, we must get to work doing things that do just that. We need to make sure everyone behaves. We need to do things that will grow the church, uh, I mean the kingdom, to be successful in the eyes of the world. Yet that begs the question, what is successful? How does Jesus reign? If Jesus is reigning actually means that no one can take you from him, then what do we focus on? We focus on the gospel. We see the forgiveness of sins, our enemy, numero uno, sins, as the way in which our reigning king gives us his victory and keeps his kingdom going. Can someone take you from your king? No. The battle is spiritual, not about how we establish the nation state of Israel. So Jesus is reigning even now, and no one can threaten his kingdom because, because why? All the things he did. He was crucified, he died, he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. Oh my goodness, that sounds familiar. Every Sunday we point out that Jesus is reigning right now. That's why our church service is about fighting against our enemy, which is not foreign armies, right? It's not invaders. It's not Palestine, right? What is our enemy? Sin and the devil. St. Paul says we fight a spiritual battle, right? Not a battle against flesh and blood. So no matter where you're at, no matter if you are the, the world superpower or not, it's, it, 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 it's this craving for earthly power and authority that, that is really appealing in the language that Jesus, that, that the Bible uses. But you miss it if you don't see, if you don't trust the mystery that we are saved by faith, right? by what Christ has done. So Jesus can, so nobody can take you from Jesus's kingdom, but the threat is our own sin. The threat is our own doubts. And that's why we come here to have those taken care of, right? That's why we come here so that we are given the victory over and over again because the challenge is for our own sins. So, was God's kingdom already in the Old Testament? Well, yes. We are in God's kingdom by the gift of faith. To ask the question about God's kingdom is to ask, well, where are the believers? Yes, we are told Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Was there an Israel in the Old Testament? Is it the same as the Israel today? No. However, if you're looking at the word Israel as the faithful, then yes. The challenge is to try and decipher when the Bible is speaking about the political national, which comes through earthly victory losses, versus the holy and perfect kingdom of his church, which never loses and is always protected. To be honest, this was the mistake of the Jews all along, and most especially in Jesus' day. They thought the Messiah was bringing a successful earthly kingdom, and when Jesus didn't do that, they crucified him. That was kind of really the ultimate test. If you are the son of God, what? Bring yourself down. Get down off that cross. 
So you can see what their expectation of what Israel truly was. They, they thought they were in Israel because they were such great people, or even just by birth. Yeah? What, what does it mean when sometimes you hear people say that the covenant hasn't been, all of the parts of the covenant have not, God has not finished them all? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, whenever somebody uses a biblical word, you have to ask, well, what, what do you mean by covenant? So generally, covenant just means well, a promise. Yeah. Yeah. So what they will say, there, there are a couple of things they can mean. One thing they mean is that the Messiah has not yet come. Right? That's what Jews believe. They believe Jesus was an imposter. Right? He was just, he was a fake. Why? Because he didn't establish an earthly kingdom. So when they say the covenant hasn't been fulfilled, they mean the promise that was given to Abraham. Cut, right? You, you're, you're cut, you cut a covenant. And that's one aspect that they think that hasn't been fulfilled yet. So Messiah hasn't come. And that begs the question, well, why aren't you sacrificing anymore? Why aren't you still upholding the Old Testament rites? And that's what's kind of iffy and sort of sketchy about churches that claim to be Christian that still uphold or observe the Old Testament rites. That's what draws, it's kind of like, well, why are, you, why are you celebrating those rites that God used? It's kind of like, you know, if you're, you're hiking to the waterfall and, and people are like, no, I don't want to go to the waterfall. I want to go, I want to go this way. So why are you going back? You know, oh, I, I like the mist more than I like seeing the actual waterfall. Do you not believe the waterfall is better? You're a fool. So that general, in general, is what they mean by the covenant hasn't been completed. Now, I could see, you know, because covenant is just like a promise or an agreement, there could be an argument to say the covenant isn't completed in the sense that God has promised Jesus will return visibly for all people to see, and we haven't seen that yet. So a Christian could say, yeah, the covenant hasn't fully been fulfilled yet, but usually when the word covenant appears, that means the Messiah is going to be sent. So what then about Isaiah 53? When it says, and it talks about Jesus and says, by his stripes we are healed. He comes. One man will be born. He will be the Messiah. How did the Jews handle Isaiah 53? Well, they say that when it talks about one man being the Savior, they say that's symbolic for the whole nation of Israel. They say we are our own savior by staying true to our roots as Jews and observing the Old Testament rites. So who is the Messiah for them? If, when you get right down to it, themselves. So some of them still, I, I had a, when I worked at a certain company, um, in a certain northern state, I had a, a, a superior who was a non-practicing Jew. And, um, you know, I asked, and he wasn't, he, he wasn't really that well-versed in his, his, faith, in his religious experience. Um, and I asked him that. So what are, you, what are you waiting for? He says, oh, we're just, just waiting for God to come back and say we were right all along. 
okay. But you know, that's what the Muslims think too. That when Jesus returns, uh, in, in the Quran, it says when Jesus comes back, he's going to point at all his Christians and say, why did you not follow my prophet Muhammad? Yeah. Um, so there's only, there are only two religions in the world. There's a religion of law and a religion of gospel. A religion where you do everything or a religion where somebody else does it all for you and gives it to you by grace. Fall into, there's only two religions in the world. And Christianity, of course, is the only religion of, of grace. So I, I don't mean to sound flippant. Um, maybe it's because I've wanted to talk about this for a long time and haven't had a chance to. But I understand the difficulty when you see the, the word Israel, right, in these, these text messages and stuff. I, I don't mean to be flippant. I, I understand, you know, that it... it it's very confusing, and that's what's dangerous about it, and why whenever you hear the word Israel, you sort of have to go back to the scriptures and say, okay, how do the scriptures use Israel? Well, in Romans 9, Saint, like I mentioned earlier, St. Paul says, not everyone who's born in Israel is an Israel, Israelite. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means being Israel must not, must not be by, by birth. It's by a new birth. That's why Jesus even tells Nicodemus, right? When Nicodemus comes to him in John 3, and Nicodemus says, how, you know, how, do, I get, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is just, what? I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jew. What do you mean I have to be born again? That's, I, I'm born already in the kingdom. What are you talking about? And, and Jesus then sort of humbles him, says, hey, you don't understand theology at all if that's what you think. The wind blows and you don't even know where it's going. How can you talk about the spirit that way? And Jesus says, you must be born of the water and the word. You must have a new identity, that which is given to you by faith. So this, is, so this, this sort of explains why Jesus is constantly engaging with the Jews is because the king is sending out that invitation over and over and over again. And most of the Jews reject him. Some of them don't. Right? And even in the Old Testament, even after Abraham and the non-Jews, can you think of any non-Jews who came to faith in the Old Testament? There's a good number of them. This is what's so amazing about their story, is they, they, they didn't have any of the promises, they didn't have any of the prophets, yet they heard they heard, of, they heard of this God of Israel, and they were like, yep, he's the one. Yeah, we have Ruth, right? The, the book of Ruth, right? Ruth and, and Naomi and, and that, that story. Rahab, right, who was a prostitute, <laughs> right? But that's, that's what, you know, and St. Paul sort of, he almost makes the case that God calls those who we despise so that it would humble us. That's the whole, that's in Romans 9. St. Paul says, you Jews rejected Jesus. So now the Gentiles are the focus of his invitation to make you jealous. So that you would say, man, why are these Christians so joyful? Why are they so willing to talk about this guy that was a loser by all, by all means of the way the world measures success? 
So it's a very, I sympathize, I understand, you know, it, and, and that's, that's the sneaky thing about false teaching, is it's going to use biblical language, but it's, its point is to mislead you away from Jesus. Right? All the talk of Israel, where does it try to point you? It doesn't point you to the comfort of being in Israel by faith. It says, Israel, 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 the nation, Israel. And it's, and, and it's, it's not leading anybody to Jesus. It's, it's leading away. That's how you know it's from the devil. Okay, any last questions? I know it's a lot of stuff, and I apologize if, I, if I've said anything that's confusing or whatever. We, we've got plenty of time um, to talk about this, and especially because so much is going on over there. Um, so when it, you know, when it comes to, to war and atrocities and stuff, it is, it is messy. This just teaches us how wicked war is. It really, the fog of war, right, covers everything. And, um, you know, we do believe that there's such a thing as just war. We do believe, but war is never good. It's never good. But it is, it is a calling that, that we have. All right. Any last questions? Sorry, yeah, Friday the 13th is a superstition. Sorry, Matt. (laughs) All the cat sacrifices and things were, were, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's a lot lot to consider that in the Old Testament, all of the, yes, Jesus obeyed the Old Testament requirements because he was a Jew, but remember Jesus also disobeyed them. Yeah, he worked on the Sabbath, remember, and that's why they hated him. He also, he said, Did you not, do you not know that David also broke the, the, the Sabbath law by eating bread, the bread of the presence? And the, the Jews had no answer. Jesus said, because it's not about the law, it's about the gospel, that I'm making you the people of God by faith, by what I'm doing. So don't get, don't, don't get panicked, don't get roped into all the, the, this talk and and the rapture and, and things like that, um, it, it, it's really not that exciting. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, Left Behind series made billions of dollars, and that's why they keep it going. It's because it's a cash cow. All right, let's close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we may find comfort, joy, and peace, a peace that exists even in the midst of a world that has gone mad, Help us, O Lord, to continue to trust you and to find you where you promise to be and where two or three are gathered in your name, that where your body and blood are given to us, it is there that we have the victory. It is there that we hear the song of the resurrection of our Savior so that nothing can take us from the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to be courageous, to be patient, but also ready and willing to share this good news with any who feel beat down by the world any who feel anxious about wars and rumors of wars, grant us, O Lord, patience to remember your son Jesus foretold all this. Help us to find our comfort in him alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.